Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey, Josh. So good to see you. Hi, Christian. Nice to see you, too. And with us, I want to say, as always, that's not true. Um, <laughs> couldn't do without him. We can. But we're so glad that he's here. And would not want to do it without him, Jason Rugg. Hey there. That's so true. I love it when you guys were here. Uh, you were gone last week and I explained that was my fault because I was moving Jacob and just blew our date, recording date. So uh, yeah, everybody, I told you I hoped they'd be back and here they are. So I missed you guys. I gave a quick, you know, 15, 20 minute update last time. So you guys missed that, but we'll do a little bit of a recap and uh, catch you up to speed. Well, should we start with a recap? Let us know what's what's going on in your world, Christian. Actually, I'd like to flip the script. And oh. I'd like to start with what's going on with you guys. People haven't talked, uh, we haven't talked a lot about uh, your stuff lately. So Josh, why don't you kick us off? What's happening on the movie proposal? You know, what stuff have you seen recently uh, that you would, you know, recommend or tell us to stay away from? Well, uh, I guess... <laughs> with the movie proposal we're we're behind so if there's any movie proposal listeners who are listening to this uh sky is traveling so it's his fault and uh otherwise we would have had one out yesterday which listening to this podcast now it would have been a week ago anyway uh so we're behind but it's going you know steady eddie having fun uh i think we're still doing a great job as far as i can tell I, I will say in terms of the things that I've seen, and I'm this is a preview to my something in blue. I, my wife and I just finished the series The Bear on Hulu. I did too. Yes. So I good. Did too. It was so good. I was so confused about The Bear because I thought it was supposed to be funny or comedic or something like that. And after the first episode, my head was swimming like, what is happening here? What is this about? <laughs> Well, that's that's funny you say that because after episode one, Angie said, I thought this was supposed to be a comedy. That wasn't funny. And I was like, this is not a comedy. Clearly, it's not a comedy. She's like, no, look. And we go back to the description and it, it's labeled as a comedy. And I thought, well, that's weird. Now, it is laugh out funny, laugh out loud funny at parts nice. throughout the series, yeah. uh, for sure. But it's also dealing with you know, serious stuff and there's some serious stressful scenes and episodes that are, this doesn't feel like a comedy anymore, but uh, still great, very, very entertaining regardless. And, uh, and it's That's, fun that it's in Chicago, you know, you, you either drive by, it's about a restaurant, you know, it's called the beef and it's a, it's your Italian beef and it's a, a staple in this local community. And so we, we, you know, if you've been in Chicago, you've seen places just like this before. You may have eaten places like this. So it was fun to see something familiar. I think the the comedy thing is really an artifact of how they used to break up TV shows, where it was mm. an hour long as a drama and a half hour as a comedy. And most of the episodes of this are a half hour or less in some cases. And some are actually longer. So they might just be categorizing it that way because of that. But yeah, it is. It's basically anxiety as a tv show <laughs> right totally well well a i think it is interesting that you're right like the second to last episode is 20 minutes long 
the last episode's 48 minutes long and then everything else is in between. But there are definitely moments where it is it is designed to be funny, you know, that even when they're stressing out and screaming in the kitchen and things going wrong, it's they're trying to make you laugh at certain points. Um, you know, like the, I don't know if you remember, there was a, they did a, uh, they catered a kid's birthday party and one of the guys <laughs> oh, didn't bring ketchup. Right. And he's like, you know, what bleepity bleep puts ketchup on a hot dog? He's like, you know, a bleepity bleep kid puts ketchup on a hot dog. That's what you, I can't believe you didn't, you know, and so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it was interesting to me because like Jason said, you know, I knew they were short. I thought it does say comedic in the in the title. Uh, it is a series. So in a sense, it's a sitcom formula, you know, and how short it is and the fact that it's a series. But uh, it's certainly the first episode left, left your mind spinning. It was I started watching it because it was filmed in Chicago and I wanted to kind of see what they're doing. Um, typically, Chicago is considered a flyover destination. So if you see something in the movies and it's based in Chicago, you see, you know, the wide shots at the beginning or the end and middle in Chicago, but the rest is filmed somewhere else. Uh, so it was nice to see it filmed here. I thought the way that they filmed it was interesting and unique. It's very gritty. Uh, it's, you know, kind of, I don't know, it's just different. The, the way they filmed it, the, the camera angles they used, and then the editing of it was very, very cutty, very fast paced. And it is in, uh, anxiety producing. I think they did it that way. So that you would feel the anxiety of what the main character is feeling, um, but there are so many life lessons mixed in there that make you think about things, and that's that's why I thought it was interesting. One other comment: uh, I know we keep talking about this, but it's fun to talk about uh, the show. It, I didn't pay attention who directed each episode, but it felt like it was directed by different directors. Uh, you know, the opening scene of episode one is what I, I won't explain what's happening but what's happening is you know isn't real it's either a dream or a visualization or something it's kind of surreal and then you get into the the real life there's an episode where you definitely know this is not real he's on this cooking show and and it's <laughs> there's a life a laugh track and that's definitely not real and and there's one episode where i think i think it's the second to last one I think it's one shot like yeah. they never cut and it's only 20 minutes but that was the, the super stress inducing episode <laughs> and so it, it each episode had a different uh way of filming it, it felt like or different use yeah. or at least use different techniques to communicate something like a flashback or a dream or show what the character is thinking or feeling you know so i, I enjoy that creativity of it and yet it was a cohesive work, you know, right. you definitely feel like it was one cohesive work. So pretty fascinating. I really hope it makes it. I think there are planned or they're already working on or planning a second season. Uh, here, I'll, I'll say right now, I, I hope they don't. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> because what made it so great, in my opinion, were the characters going through different levels of change and uh, trauma in their lives. And they've, and each of them, you know, at the end landed somewhere good. It was redeeming. And to think we have to go through this again, like 
<laughs> I, I like why I saw I don't need to see it. I, I saw it. It was great. You know, like because often when you like take a character like a James Bond character, or whatever, and you put him through the ringer over and over again, it's fun. But if you really think about it, you're like, this doesn't happen to the same guy in one lifetime, right? You know, and so to put these characters through the ringer over and over again of this just stress and anxiety and trauma and growth, you know, like these are kind of like once or twice in a lifetime moment almost, you know, where I don't want to see that again. I don't think now what's going to happen is they'll make season two. I'll be one of the first ones to jump on if they do. But, uh, <laughs> well, I what I will say is that the main character though, still has evolution to be had, you know, I, I, I think I felt there was a lot of stuff unresolved in his situation. Uh. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. But to me, that's life. Like, there's always going to be unresolved things. Like, we we just got to a satisfactory point where we could walk away and feel like, you know what, he's going to be okay. And and you don't want to come back and think like, oh no, he's not going to be okay. You know, you know like. <laughs> so I, I think what you're hitting on here is that it's a movie ending. Yeah. For a TV show. Yeah. And mm. that's that's part of it. it's like the the sequel that shouldn't happen right it's like you have to undo stuff to your character <laughs> right to get it to happen right. again right and uh, so <laughs> i think that's yeah i i struggle to see where exactly they're going to be able to go from this without having to regress some of the characters again yeah but yeah well, well you know and what you're saying kind of reminds me of an experience i'm having right now with cobra kai as i'm watching that and i know i'm late to the party with this uh but I'm just now watching it and I'm in season three and I just feel like I'm reliving the same, you know, stuff over and over again. And it's getting a little draining. And I'm like, I don't know that I need to watch a whole nother season of the same theme over and over again. Jason, are you are you watching Cobra Kai? Nope. <laughs> I've never seen Karate Kid. I've never oh, seen any of that yeah, stuff. It's yeah. just I, I tried and it, it's very popular. I just kind of got like, first of all, it was kind of low budget and you're kind of like, okay, whatever, you know, it's YouTube or at least started on YouTube. And, and, uh, and it was kind of fun to see the characters from the eighties again, you know, but then I don't know, I got bored or something. I don't know. I just could not. It did How not far did me. you make it in? I, did, I didn't get past season one. I think halfway in, maybe. Yeah, I, I think it starts to decline after season one. I think season one, you kind of see all of the characters. I think it only lives because, um, you know, Ralph Macchio and, um, you know, the guy that plays Johnny, his, you know, nemesis, they look basically the same as they did in the 80s. <laughs> they are like pretty close. Perfect. <laughs> they just look a little older and are a little more mature in some senses but for the most part um if you know i just finished a part where they did a scene with you know three of the guys that were johnny's you know club johnny's team at cobra kai and they all kind of came back and you saw the difference between johnny and like his friends who now are in their mid 50s early 60s he still looks pretty young and they are like super old and one of them in the movie and in real life was dying of cancer oh my gosh the scene was about that um and he actually dies so um in the show or in real life both both oh my gosh um and so you i really think it only works because these two main characters are still so similar to what they were in karate kid and 
you know, like I said, through the first season, you're interested and you're kind of seeing where things go. And I will say the Johnny character is continuing to develop. And, you know, he had this really retarded growth as a person. And he does continue to grow as the series goes on. And that, for me, has been the most interesting part. Uh, but the rest of it's just kind of the same story. Second verse, third verse, and probably fourth verse. And they're making a fifth season. I'm like, and it's no longer low budget, <laughs> for sure. Okay. Like, it's definitely not low budget. Interesting. So, anyway, but it's just that same thing of, like, it's getting a little old and I'm getting a little bored. So anyway, love talking shows with you guys. That's kind of fun. Jason, uh, what, what what's new with your world of production? Yeah. I, so I don't which, have a, a ton to record on. <laughs> oh, Jason. Yeah. You really yeah, nothing at all? Not a ton. No, kind of in a holding pattern. Uh, we made a teaser type sizzle reel for one of our show ideas, and we sent that around to some people. Um, we're getting some good responses from that, but we're just kind of, you know, making stuff, sending around, seeing if we can uh, talk to some people about some of our ideas. So I don't have a ton to report right now, though. Well, Very early stages busy. of that. Yeah. You're still doing stuff for the Holy Post, right? Yeah. Yep. And uh, anything else? Any other paying things? You got other just real jobs? <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I work on, I think at this point, I'm on six different podcasts in some sort of level consulting or editing or producing um and yeah um one of them just came back it's a great um podcast i really really like called kitchen meditations um it's a really fun um show to edit and produce it's got a lot of uh music and sound effects and things like that so it's really fun to to tell the story with additional elements in a podcast form um so i really enjoy doing that oh, show. that's cool that's yeah. awesome well we'll check it out okay awesome um, well, we're thankful for you being here for sure. And, um, you know, it's really great to see you guys. Well, that's it for our show, everyone. Thanks for coming. Um, <laughs> that's how it felt <laughs> when you said it's great seeing you guys. Well, particularly because <laughs> she did it backwards. This is normally right, where we right. end. <laughs> that is true. That is true. And we just, uh, anyway, you know, interesting conversation. This is what it's like when we all are really together. So <laughs> I guess we just kind of forgot we were doing a podcast. Okay. Well, there's a lot more swearing on Jason's part when we were coming up. But <laughs> well, I'm usually the swearer. Um, I'm kidding. I've never, I don't think I've ever heard Jason ever swear. Um, no, never once in my life. There you go. <laughs> all right, Christian, what's new with you? Well, I need to apologize, first of all, because the last podcast I called Sam King, Sam Cook. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned that he was going to be joining me in a couple of weeks. And uh, I did, you know, the second time I said his name and called him Sam King, but in the beginning. So sorry about that, Sam. I know your name is Sam King. Don't know what happened in my brain. Uh, this week has been exciting, actually, because Bill got back to work. Uh, and, you know, the last time I did this podcast, I hadn't talked to him yet, but since then I have talked to him. He has downloaded all of the footage that we shot in June and he's put it into a timeline for me. So I'm watching those on the dailies. Most of those have been the reenactments. So that's been super interesting to see how all of that has come out there. Um, we were working on the interviews, kind of putting all of them in a timeline and getting those translated. Uh, I did sort of circle up my team in France, Michelle Coupe, Denis Vandenbrink, and Flavie Poisson, and, you know, 
told them my problem of, of lack of funding to get the interviews transcribed and translated. And so they've offered to help do that. So that's great news. It's going to be a lot of work on their part since we have seven interviews and they're an hour each. And, you know, we need to get those, um, you know, it's it's hard when you're translating and then transcribing, you know, an hour long interview. So hopefully that's going to get underway next week. Uh, we did, we were able to get Denise, Denis Vandenbrink's interview transcribed. He did his in English. So we got it transcribed this week. It's now off to Zach Callahan, our writer, who is combing through that for uh quotes he can pull for the sizzle reel. We also transcribed Tom Rice's, he's a World War II veteran from the 101st. We transcribed his interview. It's off to Zach Callahan to try to figure out how we can put this little puzzle together for this sizzle reel. So I'm feeling positive progress where the Carenton Project is coming along. So that's good news. There'll be more of that uh, stuff, just, you know, plotting away a little bit at a time. And then once we get all the interviews done, we can start finalizing the script and, you know, get down to work. My guess is that's probably going to take most of the fall and into December, if I had to guess, looking at everybody's schedules and things like that. So that was my question, just the timeline. With someone like Bill, uh, is he volunteering right now? Is he? Yeah, because we all agreed before we started this, that in order to make this documentary, we needed to do a sizzle reel. And so everybody wants to make the documentary, but, you know, so we're all putting in the sweat equity up front to do the sizzle. So we are working around, you know, he's got to work on it when he has the availability to work on it. So we're waiting for that. People can only transcribe when they're free to transcribe. I think Michelle can't start till the end of September, you know. So when everybody's doing free work, you got to work it around their schedules and it makes things take longer. So let's assume things happen on time. You're done by December. Do you have a game plan for next year? Yeah. As soon as the sizzle reel is done, I'm going to send it to Virgil Films and see what they think. Get their feedback. Uh, you know, we, of course, want to make sure um, that they are interested in distributing it before we go and shoot it. So uh, we got to sh- give them everything we normally do. The sizzle reel, the log line, summary, pitch deck, all of that. We got to come up with a shooting schedule, a budget, and all of that, and put our pitch packets together. And so, hopefully, by sometime, maybe you know, through in February, we would start, um, you know, looking for the funding for that and sending that around in various places to p- various people to try to get the money. It would be ideal if we could start shooting in June uh, or July, something like that, but. You know, it's all based on funding. I, I estimate the budget's going to be around 300000 because Joe told me don't spend more than that because you won't break even or make your money back. Uh, so that's what we're shooting for. And um, yeah, that's what I think the timeline I'm, I'm hoping and that would be best case scenario. And that was going to be my next question was how much do you think it's going to cost? So 300000 I mean, relatively speaking, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Do, do you know how he came up with that number that... I don't know the I don't know the math of how he came up with that number, except he has enough experience to know distributing enough titles uh, at various different budget levels over a variety of years to know which people are making their money back, which ones are you know taking a bath. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't ask more details. I just said, you know, if I want to break even or if I want to try to make some money, what should what should I keep my budgets around? And 
That's what he told me. So I believe him about that. I, you know, we talked again last week and, uh, you know, he said that uh, he'd be willing to come back on our podcast uh, after things kind of settle down this fall. And um, or I think probably after we release the Girl Who Wore Freedom again in November, just to talk about the state of the distribution industry right now, because he said it's worse than he's ever seen it, even like beginning of COVID. Um, it's just everything is upside down, topsy-turvy in this world. And, you know, one company is buying another company, mm -hmm. then they're merging with another company. And and like a lot of the buying things are on hold. Uh, you know, he told me that at Google, you know, the majority, it's the biggest company right now in the world that's like taken down with COVID. And this was just like a couple of days ago. And so it's really impacting their ability to work. He could go out there, but he wouldn't really be able to have a lot of meetings. And so that's affecting things. So I just think, you know, it's tough. It's tough right now. Do you, do you have an idea what the budget was, is, how much is spent a girl who wore freedom? Well, initially, and the, <laughs> the, uh, you know, party line is 400 to, you know, $450,000. That was kind of upfront. That was through post-production. And that all ended in 2020. But since then, I've spent an enormous amount of money on so many different things. I'm about to have to spend it again. So if I was to go back and add up what I've spent since we released in 2020, so that was two years ago, I have no idea what we would be at. Um, but I will say this. I've, I've just been processing this a lot lately. When you own a property, it is going to continue to cost you money, it seems. You know? Because even if it's just looking at the rights, every five years you have to renew them and you have to pay money to do that. Hmm. You know, I'm having to pay a bookkeeper. I'm having to pay accountants. You know, I'll have to pay a lawyer if anything comes up, you know. <coughs> Sorry. I just got a thing in my throat. Uh, what, what would happen if you were to not pay the rights? I mean, it means you can't show it. But if it's not a thing right now, if it's not a hot item, what's wrong with just keeping it on the shelf, not paying the rights for it? And then when you think like, oh, it's a good time to pull it off the shelf to start paying the rights again. So you don't have to like just. That's an interesting question, Josh. Um, I actually was thinking a lot about this this week. Um, you know, what are my options? I mean, one option is really just to shut the movie down. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that's not an option. I can just shut the movie down, call it a loss, um, and then it sits on a shelf meaning I don't sell it anywhere and nobody sees it anywhere and it's not distributed anywhere. It's just done. And then I don't spend any more money on it. Um, however, even with this release in November, when, um, and this was another thing I was going to talk about, we've received a lot of feedback over the course of time and, and even very recently that when people people watched the movie, they said that they were shocked because the cover and the title did not, you know, telegraph to them anything that the movie was about. 
So, and and some people have not watched it because they thought it was sort of MAGA propaganda. <laughs> and because it's red, white, and blue, it talks about freedom. It mm. really seems like it's targeted toward, you know, a red audience. And of course, if you watch it, you find it's not that at all. But I honestly think that the title and the imagery has been what has been hurting us all along. Really? I do. I really, I mean, I've just kind of, I cannot think of anything else because Mm. I know that if these other streaming services had watched our film, you know, all of them now have rejected the girl who wore freedom, everyone that that they've pitched to, whether it was FFS or Netflix, I mean, or Virgil Films, they've all rejected it. But nobody has come back and actually said they watched it and they liked this, but they can't put it on the network. They're not going to buy it because of this. Nobody's ever said that. They basically have never said anything. And I just feel like if if they if anybody watches it, they have something to say. And I think people, buyers look at that and they're always thinking about who their audience is. And I don't know if they're thinking, we don't want to carry a title like that. I don't know if they're thinking, oh, that's probably got to be some, you know, MAGA red state propaganda thing. We don't want to cover that. But I, so I really feel that firmly. And I know that people don't understand what the movie is about when they go to watch it. Um, So I recently went back to Virgil Films and said to them, you know what, you guys, I really think that we need to change the cover art, the branding. And and I was almost I was asking to change the name. And, um, you know, to Normandy stories or something like that, just in hopes of moving away from any potential association with negative stuff that people wouldn't want to watch. And we started thinking about that. And I talked to Joe and he basically said, no, you can't change the title. It's already been pitched to foreign distributors. We're still waiting to hear back from them. It already does have name association. And they really said that they didn't want to change the imagery either. And I still was kind of pushing back on that and still am. Uh, I talked with Bill. He agrees with me. We needed to demonstrate more on the cover art what the film is about. And so we came up with an idea where we would keep Danny as the central image and put the girl who wore freedom right in the middle as the title. But in the background, we would have, um, you know, film stills sort of in the background of, you know, certain D-Day icon, you know, iconography, the parachutes, the landing craft, uh, and then the veterans in our film and um, you know, some veterans and kids, things like that, so that you can look at it right away and know it's a D-Day Normandy story. Um, and, you know, it would have the veterans on there and also Danny on there. That kind of, you know, branding does represent the movie. And it tells you that it's a lot more than just about a girl in a flag dress. So Mindy Cook right now is working on coming up with that kind of, um, you know, poster art. I don't know that Virgil Films is going to go for it. They've told me they're concerned that uh, it's too busy for a thumbnail, like on iTunes, for example, which is where everyone will live. It'll live on Amazon or iTunes or, you know, Bill's thing is, yeah, but people are going to click on it to see what it is. And then they'll see the full poster. 
I'm going to at least see what Mindy comes up with. I'm going to show it to Virgil Films. I just feel very strongly that people are not watching it. And the cover art right now and the title are part of that problem. Are, are you aware of any other films that have done something like this? Or has that come up in conversation? That hasn't been come up in conversation, but I do know it's been done. I actually know films that's that it's been done with. Um, but in the course of that conversation, you know, what he told me was, and he said this on several occasions, you know, Christian, this film has already been out for two years. This is not a new release. This film has already been out there. Um, and and it's sort of like uh, David Patterson said this one time. He he called it indie funk. After a film is out there for a while, particularly on the film festival circuit, it kind of gets this indie funk staleness about it. And I kind of feel like that's where we are. Um, we're there's not a lot to shout about. You know, it's not new. Uh, it hasn't had any big acquisition by any big thing. Um, so if I was to shut it all down now, really, I don't think, you know, back to your initial question, could I then bring it back out later? I just don't think I can. You know, well, not I... well because it'll be five years old. Well, right. I know. I'm just saying. I would just either it's it's working for you or it's not. If it's not working for you, you got to decide like, do I pay money in hopes that something's going to turn around in the next five years, or we can't afford it, so we so we, we shelve it, and then I don't know. Somehow France becomes popular in the United States, and World War II history becomes popular in the United States, and like, oh, we need to take this off the shelf now, you know, like, and then just then pay whatever you got to pay to make it usable again yeah those are deep thoughts deep questions i am asking myself <laughs> as i ponder the you know thing before me um you know we have donors that have believed in this from the beginning and they want it to get out there and i also want to mm -hmm. honor them i want to honor their donations i want to honor their support uh i want to honor their efforts i think they're still striving with me to help get this film out there and I'm not ready to give up yet. So, uh, in terms of cost and keeping it alive, uh, is it just the the rights? Is that the bulk of the cost, just to keep it? Yeah, I mean, available? where we are right now is that um, I still need to buy E and O insurance, and I still need to buy the rights for the song, a few pictures, and the video of Charles of Michelle de Valavier that I have licensed from France. Uh, those those are the main ones. And I have um, sort of been putting off finalizing those because I honestly am still waiting for the money. So I kind of didn't want to fire that up again. I, I have a I have a deadline. I have to have it to Virgil Films. I have to give them all the paperwork of all the rights, you know, before we can launch the film on November 1st. So I'm on a time deadline here. I just got to solve the problem of how to pay those bills. So that's where I well, am. Well, where there's a problem, there is a solution. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing a lot of praying right now. So if you guys are listening to this, you're praying people, I would ask you to pray along with me that a miracle will happen and the funds will be provided. I believe that that has happened. I've been up against this wall before. That has happened. God has provided 
And so I'm going to trust, uh, trust in that again, that past is prologue and um, we will be able to get this done. So. All right. Yeah. So there's that. There are a couple of other things we've been working on. I did talk with Ben uh, Fythen, who is our business ops guy this week, and we are still seeing, you know, incremental sales on Gumroad for our streaming services and our buying services um, or renting and buying through the streaming. And we've been still seeing incremental services with DVDs. Um. I've chalked that up to Delta Airlines and Air France. People see it. They want to watch it again. So they, some you know, buy it or rent it. And I told Ben that and he said, yeah, I'm sure that's true. But also I did a lot of checking um, on this to see where our sales were coming from, from Gumroad. And it seems like our SEO is really starting to work for us because we've had, you know, five years or so of putting out blog articles and podcasts and um, you know, interviews. And we've also been promoting things like the Utah Beach Museum or the Airborne Museum or D-Day Tourism. And so because of that, anytime people look up D-Day, Normandy, Utah Beach, our stuff pops up as well. And so people are finding us in the internet by Googling stuff. So that's encouraging news. Um, you know, right now we're not doing any marketing at all, not on social media, not really anything. So uh, at least that's helpful. Um, he suggested that we increase our social media sharing of other things in Normandy, tourism departments, museums, articles that are put up, you know, about stuff like that. So um, we're going to talk about that with our social media team and try to figure out how we can continue to capitalize on that. Um, I did learn that uh, Air France is looking at extending our run. So it ends in December. They're looking at extending it. I'm hopeful that that will happen. Delta Airlines, I've you know heard whispers of them renewing in January for six months, which would be amazing. So that those are good news things this week. Um, the other thing I, you guys didn't hear last week, but we have been invited to be um, at the Currahee Military Weekend in Toccoa, Georgia. Uh, if you know your band of brothers, you'll know that that is where they all began their training. And they repaired a horse stable in Aldeborn, England, where they stayed and were billeted when they were in England. They shipped it back to the United States, kind of put it up. It's now 100 years old. So they're celebrating that this weekend or that weekend. We're going to be screening on October 20. I'm sorry, September 29th and doing a book signing, DVD signing on the 30th. And then, you know, we'll be around there for all of the other uh, events. And Sam King will be with me. And then a new volunteer, Heidi Kinder, who uh, is from Australia, been supporting us for years, uh, has now moved to the United States and would like to help us in some way. So we're going to meet for the first time at this event. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, and, you know, if anybody's listening, you're in the area, please come join us. We'd love to see you. And the last thing that's happened this week is I really was focusing on the different sales, hot sales leads that I have. Um, there are a few things out there. We have a screening coming up, the Alliance Francaise, um, the French Institute in New York City. I'm trying to find out if, um, you know, I can go there for that or if they would support that effort. 
there is an opportunity to screen with the 101st Airborne Division in Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So I'm following up on that effort. Uh, also, there's a guy that I've been talking with over a course of time um, to see if he'd be willing to head up our sales stuff. And so I sent him an email this week of all the examples of things I've done in the past to try to land events. And I'm hoping, um, you know, hoping we can get that going as well. And, you know, the I was very encouraged because there was a librarian that reached out to me this week from Guilford, New Hampshire, out of the blue, asking me if they could show the film at their library for free uh, to and advertise for people to come in and see the film, which, of course, is completely allowed. If someone has a DVD, they can show whatever they want to show at a library. And I asked her how she found out about this. And there is a conversational French group in Guilford, New Hampshire, who um, I guess had a World War II veteran come and speak with them. And he told them about the movie. I don't know who the World War II veteran is, but I just want to say thank you. Uh, that was really great that he introduced our film to a conversational French audience in New Hampshire. So that was pretty neat. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And then the last thing is Lubbock Christian University, Doug Darby, who is interested in having us do an event there. Uh, he's looking for some interns uh, to help us out. I think he's found one or two. So we're going to continue talking about how to get some new interns involved in helping with the project. So that was another thing that happened this week. So there's a lot happening. I'm glad to be back to work now that Labor Day is over. And uh, we'll see what the future holds. All right. Rock and roll. Well, a lot, lot to look forward to and more to report on coming up. Yeah. Should we uh, shift gears to our, our next segment? Yes. Lead us in. Okay. Well, now it's time for DocuView Deja Vu. DocuView Deja Vu. I always say that wrong, I think. I, I don't know how it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll go first. Do it. So uh, this this is... <laughs> um, this is not a real documentary. It's it's not a mockumentary. It's a fake documentary, and it, it it fooled me. So this came out in 1999. I was in Austin, Texas, visiting a friend. Uh, we were <laughs> we were on we were on campus of University of Texas. Is that what or UT? Texas UT UT? Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, we were actually watching another documentary. Which uh, this is the one I should probably be talking about. It. Did I ever mention hands on a hard body? No. Oh, that sounds salacious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is the one I'll talk about instead. This one's a real documentary. Um, a, a pastor friend of mine said, hey, we need to go watch this film, Hands on a Hard Body. And I thought, what are you talking? And sometimes he's out there. I thought, man, you have really, I don't think I should go see this film. What it is, it's a documentary about a a Toyota dealership in a small town in Texas where every year they have a pickup truck and the local radio station does a lottery and they pick 20 people. They come out, they put their hand on the truck and the last person standing wins the truck. And this goes on for days. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I'm really surprised they haven't made like a a reality TV show of this. Uh, I've only seen the film and it's, it's, it's mid nineties is when it came out, but what's great about it is uh, everyone competing for the truck, or at least all the, the main people they're focusing on have a reason 
that they really need a truck and they're all different. Could be, you know, cause this truck means income for this person, or this truck means they'll finally be respected by their peers or their father or something, you know, and, and everyone's got a different reason. And, and, uh, and so you're rooting for them and everyone's convinced, convinced they're going to win, which is great. Cause you know, well, <laughs> only one person can win and it is hilarious. So if you get a chance, you need to watch it. I will say I was on a road trip. It was a bus trip with some, some coworkers where it was a 12 hour bus trip from here to Atlanta. And she pop, brought some movies. I popped it in and this movie got booed off the screen. They were not happy with this film and it is not a mass appeal film, but you have to, you have to give it more than 10 minutes, which my loser friends wouldn't give it more than 10 Because <laughs> it's so great. By the end, you're just like, wow, it's fantastic. Um, but hands on a hard body, highly recommend it. Awesome. All right, Jason, you're up. All right. So mine is a behind the scenes um, that just came out, um, I think today. It might have come out yesterday. I haven't watched the whole thing, but I started watching it. Uh, it is Obi-Wan Kenobi, A Jedi's Return, and it's about uh, them making the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series. But they also talked to Ewan McGregor about his love of Star Wars and growing up watching Alec Guinness and getting to then play a younger version of him and all that crazy stuff. It's a very cool look into the making of um, a pretty cool uh, TV show. So I definitely recommend it. It's an hour long. It's on Disney Plus. Uh, it seems very cool so far. Oh, I can't wait for that. Thank you, Jason. It's exciting. Uh, where can you see yours? Did you say you didn't know where, Josh? Uh, I did not say either way. Uh, I guess we could look it up, right? Also, yeah. I'll look that up. I want to hear what this fake documentary thing was that yeah, you go started on. with. You got you to gotta uh, go back to that. <laughs> oh, man. You're going to be running out of things to talk about. All right. You look up. Hands on her body. The fake one is the Blair Witch Project. Uh, so fake? Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> I, over all of these years, did not know it was fake. Oh, my goodness. So we go see Hands on Hard Body. And like most films, there's trailers. They play a trailer for the Blair Witch Project. It's advertised as if it's real. It's it's found footage of these students who go in the woods doing a research project on the Blair Witch. But it seems that they've encountered the Blair Witch because all the students go missing. And the footage is just, just creepy stuff going on, freaking out. And this is, you know, in the early 90s. And so they they were shooting stuff on film, not their iPhones or anything like that. And so they had to find these cancers of film, but the students were no, nowhere to be found. Uh, and I saw that trailer. It, it, it blew my mind. I, I, I was, I, I looked at my friend. And I thought, dad, can't, that's crazy. I can't wait to see this, you know? Uh, and then they took it a step further. They did a like a limited series on some channel. I don't remember what channel where it was. It was a documentary where someone in light of this found footage went back to this town, kind of like a Salem town, you know, where they're interviewing people. And, and, you know, what do you know about the Blair Witch? And, and they were interviewing people. And so this is a, is a pre fake limited docuseries kind of hyping up the movie right because you you hear about the legend of the Blair Witch and 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 how spooky it is and all the things that they've heard about in the past well the movie's coming out soon you're gonna see what happened to these students and 
and then eventually you figure out, oh, okay, this is not real, except for Christian Taylor, but uh, everyone else figured that out. <laughs> and you, this movie, it was one of those films where they took it to Sundance. They probably, you know, spent ten thousand dollars to make the film, uh, and it was bought at Sundance or wherever, and it's made millions upon millions. And these were just broke kids who who, who put this together. They, uh, the, the made, way they film, what's it that? made $250 million. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Crazy. So they, the way they made the filmmakers made it is they had three actors and the actors were portraying film students, uh, going out of the woods. And each day there were instructions left out by their campsite of what your character is going to do that day. There was no, there was never a script. So they improvised the lines. Each character didn't know what the other character was going to do. It was kind of like a murder mystery party where you, you know what you're supposed to do, but you don't know what the other characters are going to do. And you just, you've got the cameras rolling and you just film it. Uh, they, they were messing with them. The filmmakers, they would go to bed at night. The, the students, when they'd wake up, there'd be these creepy, kind of like th symbols or things that were built through stone stones and sticks that looked like some witches came in the middle of the night and satanic kind of stuff that just creeps you out. So they really scared them, you know, and, and, and the students, you know, they died in the film, not in real life. Uh, but so they eventually just disappear and the other students who are left remaining have no idea what happened to them. And so they're freaking out, you know, more and more. And so it was, it was a very creative way to make a film to promote the film and uh it was a hit the the one thing i last thing i'll say is this is there's a lot of running right you know and and this camera jiggling and, da, 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 and, and a lot of people got sick in the movie theaters because of the motion sickness <laughs> I, I think it's better on tv than on the big screen there's just something different about a smaller screen you you can handle it better than this giant thing where the camera is just jumping up and down you know? <laughs> But uh, but yes, it was a big hit. I never, never knew that it was a fake documentary. Wow, you blew my mind today, Josh. Sorry to ruin it for you. <laughs> yeah, well, the only time I've ever gotten motion sickness in the theater, I was watching um, nineteen seventeen. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was sitting near the front row, and I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, I was just, you know, I was watching it. I did think it was interesting, and. But then I started getting sick to my stomach and I'm like, what is wrong with me? And I like had to rush out to the bathroom. I threw up oh my and, gosh. Then, and then I was sort of okay, but I was like, what is wrong with me? And it took me a really long time to figure out, oh, that was all shot with one, you know, one take. And it's just from the point of view of the person and sitting that close on that big screen, it was, that was motion sickness. I, I can imagine being that close had a lot to yeah. do with it. Yeah. 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 It was bad. Okay. You ready for mine? Hold Go on. ahead. Hand, what? Hands on a hard body. Uh, you can get it. You can, seems like the only way you can actually get it is to buy it on Apple TV for 10 bucks. Mm. I can't okay. seem to find it anywhere. Where it's actually available to just stream or anything like that. So Interesting. Yeah, that's well, the only place I can actually find it available to buy. I'm sure the filmmakers will be really happy if we spend dollars <laughs> since it's so old. How old is right. it, Josh? When was it made, Jason? Well, 90s. 90s. Okay. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, okay, so I saw a great documentary last week, uh, totally surprised me, but it is an Amazon original. Uh, currently, it was released, I think, in May on Amazon Prime. It was directed by Amy Poehler, and it's called Lucy and Desi. And if you go Googling around for this movie, you will find, uh, you know, you'll find an article, you'll find articles there, but do not confuse it with Lucy and Desi at home or like there's all these other Lucy and Desi movies. This one is a new one. It came out in 2022, directed by Amy Poehler. And they focused on, they, they the main person speaking about Lucy and Desi is their daughter, Lucy uh, something Arnez. I can't remember her middle name. Uh, but she talks about these audio tapes that her parents made and they made a ton of audio tapes. And so they actually used the, um, these interview tapes or these recordings that Lucy and Desi made integrated into the film. And I loved that part. Uh, it was very touching and heartwarming. There were so many things I didn't know that I learned in that film. It's funny, uh, and definitely educational. There were other people that knew Lucy and Desi that were interviewed, you know, as part of this documentary. So highly recommend it. Lucy and Desi on Amazon Prime. And you said Amy Poehler directed that? Yeah. From Saturday Night Live. That's interesting. I know. I know. She did an interview, apparently. Um, I did find an interview with her. Um, I guess it went to Sundance, and I think it was part of that Sundance film festival so i want to watch that interview haven't watched that yet i'm 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 more intrigued now because i've heard of it but i didn't realize that she had directed it yeah yeah it's a good one okay rock and roll okay anything else we need to talk about christian before we Uh, say goodbye nope just want to uh thank our patreon supporters who are faithfully supporting us every week uh i think we are down to $173, something like that, of support a month. But I appreciate every cent of it. And, um, you know, I just want to say, if you're listening to this and you're interested in doing a screening at your school, your organization, uh, please, you know, email me, Christian at documentaryfirst.com. I would love to to work that out. I think at the end of the day, that's how we're going to uh, try to make our money for, the, for this um, film project. So... Yeah, and of course, you can always shop at thegirlywearfreedom.com. Rock and roll. All right. Well, hey, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell, and you can be the one to tell it. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you for listening, donating, and following along on our journey. We are supported by generous donations from people just like you. To make a donation, visit thegirlwhowarefreedom.com or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash documentaryfirst. To learn more about our other works in progress, visit documentaryfirst.com or follow Documentary First on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. This podcast was produced by Documentary First, edited and mixed by Jason Hoban, with music by Jeff Kurtenacker.